Yeah, you know what you can get me, Pee Wee? What? El hombre. That was a catastrophe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's, that's a new low. Yeah. Roz is better. El hombre. Brought to you by Hunt Services. El hombre. The natural meets Rudy meets. Ah, I don't even know how to describe it. El hombre. It is that time, everybody. Every Tuesday at 5 o'clock, you find him right here with Wyman and Bob. Joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, he is the one, the only, El Hombre, Michael Bradley with us. How are you, man? Well, that was a competent uh, sports break. That was pretty good. <laughs> well, Wyman's out sick today, so uh, I did Uh-oh. I did the first couple snapshots. Lefko did the last couple, so... We, we, we Super Bowl flu or something? What, what's the I, who knows? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I, I wasn't aware of it until about uh, 45 minutes before the show. I don't know. So um, anyway, Super Bowl, let's talk about it. Let's let's get into it. The, the most watched program ever, ever, Michael. Well, except for the moon landing. But the moon landing was uh, all three networks were showing it at the time, ABC, NBC, CBS. But, yeah, I mean, and we've been talking about this for how long? This is an engine that it has... 27 cylinders and keeps pumping through on premium gas and doesn't show any signs of slowing down or any wear and tear. It is. This, this NF, the NFL is unbelievable. Well, and then overtime, I'm guessing CBS was going, this is the best. I mean, to get overtime, it's crazy. But uh, let me, let's get your take on the game. But to me, it was a tale of two halves. The first half, I was going, eh. It's just kind of dull. It is defense, great defensive play going on out there, but the crowd was so muted, especially when the 49ers were on offense. It was You could hear every bit of conversation going on. It was a very, to me, typical Super Bowl corporate crowd where it, it, the noise was really absent, in the, especially in that first half. Yeah, I mean, it was boring, and, and I, I saw a great meme. I sent it to my son. It was Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa coach, when it was 3 nothing gone. It's a pretty exciting game. So, <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it was a complete dull, as my father used to call it, it was a dull turd of a game. But then, you know, the second half, you knew the Chiefs were going to figure something out. The question was, would their defense continue to hang on and make life difficult for San Francisco? And it did. And as I said last week, the reason I'm picking the Chiefs to win is who do I want with the ball in the, at the end of the game? And that's Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes had it at the end of regulation. He got the field goal he needed, and he got and at the end of uh, at the end of overtime, and he got the touchdown he needed. Yeah, well, Michael, going off that, uh, the Kyle Shanahan over, overtime decision obviously has become heavily scrutinized. Do you think that's overblown, or is he being rightfully criticized? Oh, he's being absolutely right, rightfully criticized. I, I didn't real, really think it until the Chiefs got the ball back and they had like a a second and eight or a third, whatever, a third and six. And I'm thinking they don't have to worry. They, they know they have four downs every, every set because they have to go. There's no question. Are they going to go for it? Well, they're losing. Yes, of course they're going to go for it. So when you're second and eight, you're not playing for third and two, you're playing for third and four then playing for fourth and one or something like that. So you're in a much different situation. Plus you have, you know, you know what you need. The other team gets a field goal. You can play a little more conservatively if, if you have to, Get, your, get a field goal. If they get a touchdown, you know what you have to do. The Chiefs have said, we've been practicing this since the beginning of the season. We knew we were going to go for two if we got that touchdown. I'm sure they had a great play ready, just like they had a great play on the goal line when they scored the touchdown to Hartman. So I think that Shanahan wasn't ready for the moment. 
So let me ask you about the the OT situation in that the players came out afterwards, a couple of them used check and others saying, yeah, I didn't, I, I wasn't aware about the new, of the new rules as it pertains to overtime. I thought we score, we win. And, and that became a big story. But, you know, when Dave and I were talking about it, I was like, well, why, why does that matter? It shouldn't matter no, to the doesn't. player unless it's the quarterback making checks at the line because they believe I got to get X amount of yards here because we got to score and we're going to win. As long as it wasn't Mahomes or Purdy, who cares? And, and once the overtime started, then they knew what was going on. So it wasn't a case of when they started playing that somebody said, uh, oh, what's going on? There was one. So that's, that's not the problem. And, and players really don't have to know about it until, you know, because the coaches are. I'm sure Shanahan knew what was going on. I'm sure he had a plan. But here's the other thing. And, and you know, I, I saw, I, I forget who said, said this, but his defense had been on the field that last drive by Kansas City. Did he really want to put it back out there, gassed a little bit, and then have you know Mahomes go right through it? So he said, "No, we'll take the ball, and then we'll we'll you know we'll try to stop them with a little rest." Sometimes we see a Super Bowl overreaction, one way or another. That oh, you have to have a great defensive line, like when the Bucks beat the Chiefs, or oh, well, you have to win with a superstar quarterback, mm-hmm. like the Chiefs just did. Is there any maybe Super Bowl overreaction or any big takeaway you had coming out of this game? No, there's a Super Bowl fact. If you have the best quarterback in the league, you're going to win a lot of games. And, and, and that's, you know, you take a look at the quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls, right? Go right down the line. Star, Namath, Dawson, Starback slash Morton, Unitas in Super Bowl five, Bradshaw, Montana, Elway, Brady. You know, aside from Trent Dilfer, there's not a lot of bums in that bunch. So you, you need to have great quarterbacks and people who at the end of the game make the plays that win the game. So what in in terms of what we saw out of both quarterbacks, there are two different stories. Certainly we'll, we'll get to Mahomes here in a second, but I'm curious, Purdy's been a fascinating story because of where he was picked. Mr. Irrelevant. Is it really about him or the surrounding cast? What have you, what was your impression of, of the way he played? Did your opinion of him change in the, in a good way or a bad way after the game, or did it remain the same? Remain the same because I think he's a good quarterback. I, I certainly don't think he's, you know, remarkable right now. Could he become better? Yes, sure. He's young. Um, he, he's a good player. He had a good game. He made some very nice, timely throws. But again, he was up against the guy. I mean, if you look at it. The difference was, at the end of the game in regulation, the Chiefs needed needed a field goal. They got the field goal. At the end of, of overtime, in their first possession of overtime, they needed a touchdown. They got a touchdown. Mahomes was capable of doing that both times, and that's the difference. And he's ethereal. He has he has an – I mean, on that fourth and one when he ran it, they had an option where he could have flipped it to Kelsey, but he's like, no, there's no way I'm giving him the ball. But you had <laughs> complete confidence. Just put the ball in his hands, and he's going to make it happen. I didn't – when they got the ball back at the end of – in that first possession of overtime – I had no doubt that the Chiefs were going to win it. I, it's just the way you feel about him. It's the same way you felt about Montana. It's the same way you felt about Brady. He's just a great quarterback. Hey, Michael, what's the perception of, I, I don't know if it's changed or all, uh, at all, or maybe it, it's been the same and maybe you guys felt it was time, but what was the perception of Andy Reid when he was removed from the job in Philly and now watching him succeed here is there regret or is it, hey, it was time and the Eagles have, you know, they've succeeded without him? Look, the Eagles, the Eagles fans were done with Andy Reid for two reasons. One, he won five. 
he made it to five NFC championship games and won one of them. He lost the Super Bowl, and he didn't bring what everybody in Philadelphia wanted. And at the time when he was coaching, Philadelphia fans are a lot tougher than they are now. Now, after this process, they've gotten softer. Back mm. then, you, you get to the NFC title game, you stink. You didn't win, you stink. You lose to Tampa Bay at home, you stink. You lose to, you lose to the Panthers, you're horrible. And when they went 4-12, and 12, it, was, it was time for him to go. His son had, had died of a, a heroin overdose. He was, you know, how do you, how do you coach in that situation? He took like four days off from work. I mean, come on. So it was time for him to go. Eagles fans, there's still people out there who can't stand them. He didn't get it done for us. So I guess that means you hate every single coach in the history <laughs> of, the, of the franchise except Buck Shaw, who won in 60, and Doug, Peter, I mean, and Doug Peterson, who won, in, won the Super Bowl. So, you know, there's still people out. I, I happen to think he's done a great job. And guess what? You look really, 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 really good when you've got the best player in football on your team, just like Belichick did all those years. Yeah, and that that led to, you know, we were talking about this yesterday, that obviously there's a ton of conversation around Mahomes. Is he the greatest? Should he be in that conversation? Blah, blah, blah. That's all fair and warranted. Should Andy Reid be in that conversation amongst the greatest coaches ever? You talked about him getting to the NFC title game five times in Philly, got to the Super Bowl. Yes, didn't win it, but to have that team in that position that often and then win three so far with this team, and they're in the AFC title game every single year, shouldn't he be in that conversation? Without a doubt, he's he's the only coach to have won 100 games with two different teams, and he's won three Super Bowls. There are five coaches who have won three Super Bowl: Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs, uh, Chuck Knoll, and Bill Belichick. That's it, and and Reed. That's it. Five. And how many people have been coaching since 1967? A lot. So. Yeah, he's got 258 wins. He wants to coach a couple more years. I don't think he'll reach 300, but he's probably going to end up with 265, 270, whatever. Depends how long he stays. Bell, I mean, what's his name? Carroll's going to turn 72. He is Belichick's 72. Turn 72. He is 72. Maybe he coaches five more years. Maybe he makes it to 300. Uh, you know, they get 17 games. If Mahomes is around, he got a chance to do that. So. Yes, absolutely. You have to put him among the greatest coaches, and and you know remember, the the, the you guy you know uh, what's his name Lombard, uh, Lombardi was a defense was a coordinator. Then he went to Green Bay. He lost his first championship game to the Eagles, and then he he didn't lose a championship game after that. Uh, Belichick was not so good in in uh, Cleveland. It's you know that's not uh, Shula lost the the Super Bowl three to the, the, to the Jets before he won two with the Dolphins. So. It's not It's not always automatic, but what he's doing right now is pretty remarkable. Hey, Michael, uh, college football just feels like an absolute mess right now. You have coordinators leaving for jobs in the NFL. You have head coaches leaving for NFL spots. You have a Chip Kelly leaving his head coaching job for some reason to go to Ohio State. Uh, is there going to be any stability, or is this going to be just a consistent process of anarchy year after year? I think for a few years we're going to have anarchy all over. It's going to be player anarchy, anarchy, and it's going to be coach anarchy because the rules are not defined right now. If you're a coach, you really don't know what is legal. Ohio State put out $13 million in NIL money over there. I saw that statistic, maybe you know, plus or minus, this, this offseason to bring in a ton of transfers. So what you're saying is that's what you're competing against. You, you talk about the uh, maximum leader leaving UCLA. 
They're going into the Big Ten <laughs> with, wait, with a non-conference. Remind me why you call him that again. We were trying to – I couldn't remember. Over, he took over everything in Philadelphia. He was completely in charge of everything, and he walked around the football building like he was you know, Kim Jong-un. He wouldn't <laughs> talk to anybody. He was, had to be praised. I mean, he was he was the maximum leader, and then he lasted two and 15, 16 seasons with the with the Eagles. Won me twenty leader. bucks because I said he wouldn't leave, leave. So, you know, maximum leaders. It looks at UCLA this year and says I've got the ninety fifth most production of any Division One A team coming back next year. I got to play LSU non conference. I got to play USC. I got to play Penn State. I got to play. I think they played Michigan. They've got a brutal schedule, and he barely kept his job this year and did that by beating USC and finishing strongly in, in the bowl game. Uh, but there's no chance he had a lot of rope. So he said, I'll go and be the Ohio State coordinator. He wants to get back in the NFL, but he runs a high school offense now. And, and the, when Seattle beat the Eagles, as I said before, they, 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 everybody figured it out. So he wants back in the NFL. Maybe the, he sees this as the way I run an offense. I, you know, we, maybe they win a national championship because Ohio State's loaded if their quarterback can play. I don't know. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Coaches are going to be trying to get in the NFL. There's stability there. Even though the head coach can get fired in five days, you still don't – you know what the, the rules are. You know what the schedule is. In college, the schedule is 365. The rules are changing all the time. You've got Tennessee and Virginia suing uh, you know, in, in court today. You've got – all sorts of crazy stuff going on on the state level, on the federal level, on the NC2A level. Of course, people want to get out of that mess. Hey, well, as, as, as far as uh, just getting back to the Super Bowl, I want to, I want to get a couple more thoughts from you on this. Uh, we, we saw the, the interaction with Reed and Kelsey on the sidelines. We talked to Mark Schlereth about this, talked to Wyman, two guys that have played, obviously, at that level. And both of them said, yeah, that was a whole lot of nothing. I've, it's, I've been involved in it with coaches. It just wasn't caught on camera, certainly not at a Super Bowl. Uh, but Schlereth was telling us today about him hitting his, uh, I think, his O-line coach in the chest with his helmet saying, well, you think you can do better? You go block him. And he said he knocked the wind out of him. So it, I guess the, the physical interaction caught a lot of people off guard and Kelsey became a bad guy. What was your reaction to that? Same thing as those guys. I mean, these are large men whipped into an emotional frenzy to play a game that requires, at this the highest level, 100% commitment to the mayhem going on in the field. And when things don't go well, emotions tend to bubble over. Now, he's fortunate that it was Andy Reid that he hit because he hit any other coach in the league. He hit, hit that little guy in Miami. That guy, he'd, he'd be like Roosevelt. <laughs> Mike McDaniel. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine he goes in and starts bumping him. Reid just took it like it was you know, a piece of paper hitting him. He's got a strong, uh, you know, a strong uh, you know, balance, uh, you know, base there. So I, I agree. And Reid said it. I get on these guys pretty hard, too. So this was in a situation where uh, it was and, you know, this mild-mannered coach being assaulted by this big, mean guy. It was two competitive people in the, in the middle of the biggest game of you know, the season. Express, you know, one of them is expressing what he feels, and the other one's saying, all right, get the hell out of my face. Michael, we had a discussion earlier about what a fair expectation should be for the Seahawks with a, a new head coach this year. What about for the Eagles, though? Because they have two new coordinators, but, you know, they were very good. And then you talked to us many times this year about how they just completely imploded. What are the expectations for Nick Sirianni? Is this he better do something or he's fired next season? 
Absolutely. Yeah, he's, he is now a CEO. He, he's not calling the plays. He's not running the offense. He's brought in an offense, new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. And these aren't like the junior varsity. He's brought in two guys who have been around. So they're not going to say to him, hey, Nick, what do you think about this? They're going to say, hey, coach, get the hell out of our way. Are we going for it on fourth down? Yes, here's the play. So that's, that's what he's got. He's up against. They better win. They've got some significant personnel holes they got to fill. Defensive backfield, a mess. Their linebacking core, Wyman could probably get a job there right now because it's such a mess. They're, gonna, they're losing their center. They're going to try to bring a guy, Cam Jurgens, over to play, and then they're going to have a backup guard. Their line isn't going to be as good. They don't have a running back. They don't have a third wide receiver. And, oh, by the way, the reports after the season were the quarterback is not a good leader, was aloof, and some of the players don't like him. But other than that, Super Bowl or bust, baby. <laughs> oh, okay. Even Wyman so, could get a job there, huh? So wait, that was that surprising? It felt like Jalen Hurts was well-liked and well-received. Did that change, or is that just what happens after a tough season? There's about 255 million reasons why ah. it changed. Hmm. Apparently, once he got the check, that's when he became a little more aloof. And, you know, now look, he was also hurt, all right? He had a, he had a bad knee the whole season. If you're trying to fight through that, it's not always easy to say, hey, guys, let's go bowling. You know, you're getting treatment. You're trying to, you know, to rest up. You're trying to get ready to play on Sunday, and it's going to hurt. So um, that's part of it. But all and I, that goes to his um, performance. But he's committed, apparently, from reports to being a more vocal leader, to trying to take over. Look, the Eagles had a lot of old heads in that, room, in that locker room. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Kelsey, Lane Johnson, even A.J. Brown, who had only been there a couple of years, had taken a, a real strong leadership role. And I think maybe Hertz thought, not my team. Now they're saying, listen, pal, it's your team. You better act like it. Now, I know I know you don't know this the Seahawks roster up and down and, and where they ranked in all these different categories. I'll just tell you this. The offense, for the most part, was a little below mediocre in most categories. The defense was atrocious. It was towards the bottom of the league in most categories. So you bring in a new coach who ran a defense in Baltimore that everybody envied. He's a defensive mind. Uh, brings in a, a, a college offensive coordinator. We don't know what to expect. But, but I was saying I was saying earlier that my expectations are if they can just keep the offense where it was, they don't even have to improve it this first year. Just keep it a little below the average that it was uh, and improve the defense to even in the teens. If they could be 18th, they, they were literally like every category, 28th, 29th, 30th, bad. If that defensive mind in Mike McDonald can get them up to 18th, is it not reasonable to expect them to be a better team than they were last season? Oh, without a doubt. If Geno Smith can play quarterback well, and, and, and as you said, they don't regress. Yes. And your defense improves. We saw it. Kansas City won the Super Bowl with defense. The, the 49ers played good defense, especially in the first half against a really potent offense. So you, you need to have a good defense. And I'm surprised you said McDonald ran a, uh, uh, an, a, a, a defense that was the envy uh, of everybody when he was at the NFL. I ran the defense who was the envy of everybody when he was at Michigan last year, too. So, um, this, this, my, this my guy, bad. This is a guy who's, who's, yeah, seriously, get your references correct. <laughs> this is a guy who is, is a good defensive coach, a very good defensive coach. <clears throat> and you're right. They're not going to turn into a bloodthirsty group right away. It's going to take some time because they need to get some more personnel. But he should, should certainly be able to make them 
more sound, not give up the big plays, not give up late game, make late game errors. And that, you know, that's worth a couple wins right there because there, how many games in the NFL are under a, 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 a touchdown? Just about all of them anymore, except when the Panthers are playing. So you have, you have a situation where those close games could turn the other way. Well, Michael, what is uh, the state of Michigan athletics and the football program right now? All the assistants have been poached. Uh, the sanctions are looming. Are people worried about what might happen? We're not worried about the sanctions because I think getting rid of Harbaugh did an awful lot. And, and they can go and say, look, we, we had a deal for a four-game suspension. You guys, you know, your board reneged on it and said, no, we're not going to do it. They may get slapped a little bit. Uh, they're certainly not going to suspend the coach. They may get, uh, you know, they may get a, uh, a scholarship or, or a recruiting visit uh, knocked down there. Um, you know, this is a name brand. You, you say, well, you're not allowed to be in the the, uh, the, the tournament this year, and, and I'm not. There's no guarantee they're going to be. They don't even have a quarterback. I mean, their quarterback room is like the three of us. So they've got they've got some real issues. Their defense is going to be good. Um, you know, they'll probably start the year somewhere. They'll be overrated. They'll be you know somewhere in the top ten where they don't belong. You know, they got to play Texas at home. They got to play USC. They're going to play the horrible people from Columbus, Michigan State. I think they have UCLA. They have Oregon. I mean, did they, did they go out to Washington? Now, Washington, do they have any players left? I mean, I'm not sure. But Michigan, it was announced today, Michigan had 18 players invited to the NFL Draft Combine. It's the largest amount from any school ever. So they're losing some top-notch talent. He is El Hombre. Michael Bradley is with us every single Tuesday at 5 o'clock. You find him right here. You also find him on Twitter, at Daily Hombre. At Daily Ombre on Twitter is where you find him. And uh, as I say, interact at your own risk. He'll let you know how he feels about things. Uh, Michael, as always, we appreciate it. Great stuff. We'll talk again next week. So long, suckers. <laughs> I like that he, he pointed out he didn't get the Michigan reference. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. The, the defense. <laughs> For one year. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the defense that was the envy of the NFL. But what about Michigan? <laughs> I guess he was probably good there. I didn't watch Michigan, so I will uh, just trust that he was very good there, and he was spectacular with the Ravens. So that's good enough for he me. He did, yeah, he got him to the college football playoff, so he was okay. good there. But he was there one year, and he was with Baltimore, like his entire coaching career. But, yeah, make the Michigan connection. Yeah, Localize it, everything. My yeah. bad. I omitted his time at Michigan. I should have given it proper credence, but I didn't. Uh, our thanks to Michael Bradley. If you missed any of that conversation, tuned in in the middle of it, it will be on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Just click the podcast tab. Click on our picture, and it's right there waiting for you. Click subscribe. That's the easiest way because you click subscribe. You don't have to worry about it ever again. It just shows up for you. It's beautiful. Uh, coming up, who's the best op? We're going to get into this. Lots of texts. Lots of texts coming in on this. Who is the best option for the Seahawks at quarterback next season? That is coming up next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, let's get into it. Geno Smith, ladies and gentlemen, go. <laughs> That's basically what happened I earlier know. in the day. It was just surprising. I feel like I have to say this again. When Geno was anointed the starter, you didn't have a bigger Geno skeptic than me. I called him duct tape repeatedly. I called Drew Locke duct tape. I said, these are both guys that are just holding a spot until they figure out who the guy is. And that still may be true to a certain extent. I don't think Gino's your future five years from now, four years from now. But 
for those of you that that felt that way and still clearly feel that way, because we're getting a ton of texts, he's, he's average, he stinks, he's this, he's that. Tell me who the better option is, right? The realistic option. Who's the available veteran? And no one's giving you a name. No. We're, got, we're watching, got, yeah. I, I asked this question of, uh, I'm not sure how to, Den, Denstein? Denstein? Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm saying that name correctly. In Gig Harbor. Says Gino is a career 500 quarterback. What leads anyone to believe he'll be anything else after a decade in the league? And I said, okay, who's the better option? Their response: anyone that is also a 500 quarterback that doesn't cost 25 million. You know who that is? No one. Gino's pretty cheap for a quarterback. By by football tell starting yeah. quarterback standards in the NFL, he's he's a bargain. So, uh, g- give me somebody specific. Give me you're picking at 16 right now. So let's assume they stay there. There's always the possibility they could trade up, but I, I don't know that they would do that. But just play it out. They're picking 16, and you have whoever is available right now as a veteran quarterback. Who's a better option right now? Is it is it a J.J. McCarthy at 16? Is it a Michael Penix at 16? Is it, It's not going to well, be – for it's this not, year, too. That's what yeah, we're that's asking. what we're talking yeah, about, this like, upcoming season. Not in five years, but like this year. No, this season. Yeah. If you, because these are people that are saying get rid of him. Don't don't pick up the uh, – you, you you can avoid the guaranteed money if you get if you cut him loose before – what is it? This Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who fills that spot? Is it – are you trying to win or are you trying to save money? Because I've had some people say, well, just get rid of him and then sign Drew Locke for $10 million a year. Is Drew Locke and are you a better team with Drew Locke? You could be. I don't have you seen enough of Drew Locke to feel like you're a better team with him? Because I I personally have not. I've seen things that look good. He's done some good things. He's done some bad things. He's so I don't I don't have a clear picture of what I think Drew Locke brings to the table if he's your starter for 17 games. So is it what is your goal as a fan? Is it well, we want to save money. We don't want to pay our quarterback that's that much. So get the cheaper quarterback. Well, okay, well then maybe you do take a step back. Maybe you're not as good as you were with Gino. So I I I don't I want to know what the answer is. Tell you, me if you don't want Gino, what is your answer at quarterback? You want to know who makes less than Gino Smith? Jimmy Garoppolo, Jordan Love, who's on his rookie deal, Bryce Young, Trevor Lawrence, who's on his rookie deal, CJ Stroud, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Anthony Richardson, Jacoby Brissett, and Tua, who's still on his rookie deal. Yeah. So, who who are you getting? That's a current NFL starter that's going to do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm maybe there's somebody I'm missing. I understand this being a discussion if it were last year. If Geno had come off this current season last year when the Seahawks had the number five overall pick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a discussion because they were drafting that high. So it was a warranted discussion about, hey, this is the only chance you're going to have up here. Do you go out and get a quarterback? Well, you know what? There were no quarterbacks left for them to take when they even got to number five. So if you're sitting here at 16, you're going to turn over the keys to this franchise to a quarterback that's, what, maybe the fourth or fifth best quarterback there? That's a big risk. I just, I don't, I don't, I'm just looking for an answer. I'm a, I'm a, you can feel how you want to feel. I'm not trying to sell you that Geno is the, is the, Right there with Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, or I'm not trying to tell you that. All I'm trying to say is, he, in my opinion, he's the least of your problems, and he's he's not the reason your 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 team was sort of middling. He's uh, he I don't know. I and I don't know what the the correct option is. It'd be different if it was like, hey, you got so and so sitting out there as a free agent. Go get him. This guy is 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 twenty six years old. He's got all this promise. He's a stuff. Had some people saying trade for Justin Fields. What has Justin Fields done other than being young and running the ball really well 
What, tell me what he's done. Look at his completion percentage. Tell me why he's the better option other than he's just younger. Because his numbers aren't better than Geno's. None of them are, except for rushing the ball. So I've had some people that they're texting in Gardner Minshew. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky. Who didn't Nicks. lead the Colts to the playoffs this year. Bo Nix, pro-ready and durable. So a rookie quarterback at 16 is a better option than Geno Smith right now. Maybe. Maybe. I, I wouldn't bet on that. I'd take the proven commodity. You know what you're getting out of Geno. You know he can win games. He can make the throws. If he gets the protection, he's not He's not a guy that keeps the play alive like Mahomes again. He's not. That's not the standard I'm holding him to. That's not realistic. But you're saying you, you know what you're getting with Gino. You know what he's capable of doing. And that is less appealing than a, a college quarterback who you're going to pick in the middle of the first round who, who you're going to throw right into the deep end. Well, I'm not sure that you do know what you're getting with Gino. I think there's some untapped potential still. Because if if people are excited, they're throwing out Michael Penix. If people are excited about Michael Penix because of Ryan Grubb, isn't it natural to think Ryan Grubb can bring some innovative ideas and unlock something in Geno Smith? I mean, there were times last year where you know we tried to figure out who the blame was on, why the offense looks so stagnant and predictable. Mm-hmm. So logically, if you're going to bring in a guy who is an offensive whiz, he's going to dial up some situations that give Geno some better looks, that give the offense some more versatile options and free up things that might not have been there last year. It's no longer drop back, scan for a target. The offensive line doesn't give you enough time. So I think the combination of Ryan Grubb and Geno Smith, that's exciting to think about. There is untapped potential there that we have no idea what we're going to see out of the Seahawks offense, but it's going to be different. Yeah, he might he might reach a different level. He might not. If, if he stays at just let's presume he stays where he's been. Tell me who the better option. We're getting a couple of Uncle Ricos. <laughs> there, so I don't think Uncle Rico's available. Uh, he could throw it over the mountains, though. Uh, let's see. Five, four, one. Baker Mayfield could be a cheaper, longer term option than Gino, but I still think logic for the continuity's sake. Roll with Gino for another year or two. Uh, another Baker Mayfield. Somebody saying uh, Brock Heward. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see who else has got a, a serious answer. Sign Penix, let him sit behind Gino for a year. See, that's I look at Gino as the perfect quarterback to have if you're going to sign a quarterback you believe in the draft. If you're going to draft a quarterback, I should say that you think is your future. Whether you take him at 16 or maybe you move up to 10 or you somewhere in there, you find a rookie quarterback you like, or maybe it's a third. Or you took Russ in the third round. Mm-hmm. That worked out really well. So maybe you you find your quarterback in the draft. You feel like this kid's our future, but he's not somebody we want to throw out there right now. You've got, by NFL standards, a very, very affordable quarterback who can win games. And you can let this kid sit behind him for another two years. It feels like a pretty pretty good spot to be in right now because you don't have a top five pick. You're not getting one of the premier quarterbacks coming out in the draft. And as far as available free agent quarterbacks, I don't, I don't know who's better. Yeah, you're not in a position where you want to or can afford to take a step back at quarterback this upcoming year because you have so much uncertainty. You have a lot of unknowns and many other positions that we've talked about and will continue to talk about. So the stable option, you got to keep going with that. You got to go with the strength of your team. Where we mentioned today, hey, we're looking at all the upgrades the Seahawks need. We're not talking about the offensive side at all. The offense is, is not the issue. The defense is the issue. You fix the defense believing the offense can stay what they were or get better, and this is a better football team. So to think that you're going to drastically improve with a new person at quarterback, new head coach, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, 
that feels like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see, I think Geno's been on a better team than Fields, and it isn't close. Hawks have a better O-line, better receivers, better running backs. I also don't think he was truly schemed for in Chicago. Yes, his stats aren't better than Geno's, but Geno's weren't great until he came here either. Just playing devil's advocate, though, I like Geno and think he's the perfect bridge quarterback. Yeah, I mean, listen, if they went out, I'm going to trust their judgment if they go make a move like that, and they said, hey, we want Justin Fields. I'd be like, okay, I don't, I don't see what you're seeing, but you're the expert, so I'll defer. But I don't, I just, to me, there's not the obvious. This guy's sitting here, and you're sticking with Gino. There isn't this guy sitting here. That's the thing. There's not that guy unless you have a faith, you have some level of faith in one of these rookies. And somebody said, Bo Nix, he's he's ready to go, and he's he's tough and durable, and he's pro ready. You don't know that. Also, no Justin, idea what, Justin Fields is under contract. So yeah, they're gonna you're gonna have to trade. You're gonna give up draft trading for, for a quarterback. It would be a free agent or, or bust here. It's a free agent. You're drafting one, or it's Geno Smith. So okay, maybe you like Justin Fields, but the Seahawks are not trading for a quarterback. Yeah, and somebody said, how is 35 million affordable? He's not making 35 million. That's that's not how much he's making this year. So I I don't I I I'm not saying you're you're crazy to feel like he's not the answer, but give me give me the better option. Give me an option rather than just. Get rid of him. He's five hundred. He's a, he's a backup. Okay, I won't I won't debate you. Tell me, tell give me the better option. They move on and they bring in who? Drew Locke is your answer. You've seen enough of Drew Locke to feel like that's comfortable because I feel like your priorities are different because people are saying, well, you're going to save money with Drew Locke. All right. Well, if the goal is saving money, okay, then get rid of Geno and sign Drew Locke to, to whatever ten million a year. But are you then looking at a seven win team? You're looking at a six win team. Maybe he's better. But you don't know. That's it. You don't have nearly the amount of information on Drew Locke other than watching him in practice that you do on Geno Smith. So I, it, it, that that one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I kind of wish. So you guys are talking to John Schneider on Thursday. Kind of wish you were talking to him Friday because then we can just ensure that Geno Smith's on the roster. Because now we've come out so definitively and said, hey, there's no way they cut Geno Smith. But, you know, February 16th is the date. That's why we're talking about it. But, yeah, it, it would be stunning to say the least, if the Seahawks did that, because we just kind of parsed through all this. There's no better immediate option for next year that's better than Geno Smith. If there is, I, then enlighten it's unknown. me. Yeah. Enlighten me, because I, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. But if they make that move, Lefko, I will be, I will trust them. I'll have a lot of questions, but I'll say, hey, they know what they're doing. I'm curious what they're doing, but they, I'll trust them. And- it'll, it'll kind of feel like I felt on Friday when I wrote this article saying, hey, you know what? The Seahawks haven't hired an offensive coordinator. That means it's probably coming from the Niners or Chiefs staff. And then six hours later, they hired Ryan Grubb. Yeah, so, well, can't be blamed that for that. He had just gotten done doing his speech of I'm Ryan Grubb and I'm your new yeah. offensive coordinator here at Alabama. So uh, coming up, what are some realistic expectations for Julio this season? We'll get into that next. Talk a little baseball coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Tons of texts coming in, Levco. Tons of texts. And only one right answer. Very few. (laughs) Which one? The one? Yeah, there were no, no one gave an option we kept asking well who well there's some saying Gardner Minshew yeah. Baker Mayfield Tyler Huntley so no options no real good options Drew Locke. that will be better than Geno Smith next season but someone at least realized that and 253 said can the Hawks just sign Lefko not to throw the ball just to watch get demolished every week <laughs> they want you to be a tackling dummy 
Then there's the option. All right. She Unless the Hawks quarterback next season. See Lefko just dressed in a uniform out there, just standing in the middle of the field, guys just taking running starts at him. <laughs> Man, you know what? For the uh, league minimum, I might do it. Uh, What's that league minimum? It's pretty nice, isn't it? Couple hundred thousand. I don't know what it is. Baseball, I know it's baseball, over seven hundred. It's over seven hundred in baseball. All right, right, fine. I'll do it for one game to get that league minimum. You may not recover. That's nah, true. Uh, f- uh, four one zero in Maryland says, "There you go, bridge quarterback. No one thinks he's a Super Bowl quarterback, so why tread water?" Okay, but what's the solution? I'm not debating you. you I don't think you're wrong to feel like you can do better. But how do you do better now? Who, who's that guy that's available? Is Baker Mayfield better than Geno Smith? Is Gardner Minshew? I know he's a Coog, but just look at him for who he is. Do you feel like Gardner Minshew gives you a better shot at getting into the playoffs and through the playoffs than Geno right now? I mean, you got to work with what's available. So, you know, unfortunately, Mahomes isn't available. And Aaron Rodgers isn't available. <laughs> and these, So you're dealing with what's available, and I don't feel like these guys are, are a better option. And then you got some people going, well, you can spend less. Okay, but what's the, if you're spending less and you're getting a lesser quarterback, you're winning fewer games. We're, we're trying to win more games. Mm-hmm. We're trying to put this team in the best position to win games this coming season. So I don't really care that they make less. Right. That means that you're, you already got, by NFL starting quarterback standards, a cheap quarterback. Yeah, we broke it down. Geno Smith is one of the cheapest quarterbacks out there yes. this season, this upcoming season. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm just looking for an answer. I'm just looking for the better option. Just give me the, I'm not saying you're wrong for feeling like you do about Geno, but just give me who's the, don't say, well, just get rid of him. Okay, but who's playing quarterback for this team? Who's going to put you in a better position to win next season? Matt Nelson. Matt Nelson or or whoever you draft at 16 <laughs> and that's assuming the court the the Seahawks see somebody at 16 whether it's Penix JJ McCarthy I don't know some other you, you think either of those guys are going to be ready to, to get thrown in the deep end and be a starter no so I don't know it's uh I, again not calling you wrong for feeling that way but I just I just need an option I need a, a, a reasonable option meanwhile what's reasonable for Julio Rodriguez this year what do you think what do you think's a, a, a fair expectation? We talked about it with Shannon earlier that he was very hot and cold. He had some extreme months of of uh, just down play. Just his strike zone became huge. He's chasing. Then you had, I think April and then August. He had you know big months. You look at his the end results. His numbers were pretty pretty representative. But what what do you think's a fair expectation for him? I don't know if it's fair, but maybe it is because of the contract, because of the weight of expectations, because everything the Mariners put into him. I expect AL MVP finalist. Top two in MVP voting. I mean, right now, you look at Fangraph's projections, and by position players, only Juan Soto in the American League is projected to have a better season. Uh, David Schoenfeld brought it up with Bump and Stacey that, yeah, Shohei Otani's not in the league anymore. So you have Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, and Julio Rodriguez currently the top three projected in war going into this season. And if you can find that consistency, you don't even have to have the peak of what he hit in August. If you find that consistency throughout the entire yeah. year, that will get you up there in that race. Well, here's, you brought up Schoenfeld. He was on with Bump and Stacy, and he talked about Julio being a legitimate AL MVP candidate this season. He's young enough where we do expect more. Is that unfair? No, that's his ability. Mm-hmm. That's his talent level is to be an MVP candidate, not just like a top 10 MVP guy. He's got to cut down the strikeouts, cut down on the chase rate, but he's at that age. He has the experience now. I think he'll do that. And Shohei's not in the league anymore, so that MVP race is a lot more wide 
open and it's been, and he has the ability to do that. I, I think it's fair. You're paying him as that guy. Yeah. Right? You committed to him financially in a way that says, yeah, we believe in you. We believe in what you're going to be. You're not going to reach your full potential next season, but you should take that next big step towards your full potential. And I'm not going to say he has to win the MVP, but I think he's got to be a no doubt about it, an all-star. He wasn't this past season. He wasn't that guy. But he's got to, he's got to have that year where he's kind of the catalyst. He kind of helps – it, it takes the whole team, but he's got to he's got to carry the the majority of the burden, if you will, offensively. What you hope is that the struggles of last year were due to understanding how to deal with the attention and the weight of everyone's expectations on you. And I think that's why he struggled. I want to hope that he knows how to handle that better. They, you know, his team, everyone around him has dealt with that. He was the face of baseball after his rookie year. He was in so many commercials. He got this outsized weight of expectations and requests and all the attention around him. And he felt that he was pressing early on in the season. So he figured it out back half of the year. I don't think that same slow start will be there. So putting that consistency across an entire seven months of the regular season, those numbers should be right up there. Yeah. I mean, he's got two years in the league. He's so far from a finished product. He's so far from it. And he did, you know, we're talking about in totality. We, I agree. You got to be more consistent throughout the season. It can't be, well, he was on fire in April. He was in fire in August. And the other months he was like, eh, not, not awesome. But in the end, he improved on his rookie season. He improved on his home runs. He, he hit 32 compared to 28 as a rookie. Mm-hmm. He drove in 103 as compared to 75 as a rookie. But his average went down. His on-base went down. His strikeouts went up by 30. Struck out 145 times as a rookie, 175 last year. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, he improved in, in a lot of key areas, stolen base, that improved as well. You need to continue to see that. But those, those mar- he's got to be just be more of a consistent presence throughout the season as opposed to these two big months and then everything in between was kind of like, eh, not awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's – you know, just spread it out. Spread out the spread out the goodness. Give us that, and and I think he's going to be just fine. All right, everybody, that does it for us. I want to thank our guest today, Mark Schlereth and El Hombre Michael Bradley. Always great stuff out of both those guys. And by the way, final appearance for Mark Schlereth for this season anyway, so if you missed it, you definitely want to check that out. Head to seattlesports.com, click the podcast tab, and click on our handsome new picture, and it's right there waiting for you. And click subscribe. That's the key to all of it. You never have to worry again after that. Life is just easy. Have a great night, everybody. We're back tomorrow with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.